This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to a new episode of Perfectly Good Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that is going through every John Hyatt song in alphabetical order. I am at the top of the stairs with my sister in all things, John Sylvan. I'm glad that your eyes are gathering light and shining them back at me as we talk to each other on Zoom. And there is another shiny, happy face here in the podcast room tonight. I'm so excited. I am too. We're starting to get a trend. We're starting to get more people to join us. By the way, I am Jesse Jackson. Joining us today is Nick Brown. Nick, welcome to the podcast. We are so thrilled you're here. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. I was hoping this would happen from pretty much the day I learned this podcast existed. So it's nice. Yeah. To- Nice to be here. So if you don't mind, Nick, if you could first tell us a little bit about anything you want to share about yourself, how you came to like John Hyatt and why you wanted to come and talk to us specifically about Come Back Home. Sure. Yeah. I. So I'm just, yeah, I'm a journalist. I'm based in the New York area. And I discovered John, I think as many people did, which is through the Recovery Trilogy. I was young. I was two when Bring the Family came out. So that would make me five when Stolen Moments came out. So some of my, I guess, earliest memories really are being in the car with my mom on these long drives and listening to what was at that time cassettes. And my mom was a single mom. My dad at that point was struggling with addiction himself. And he and my mother had found Hyatt together. I got the sense John was known, known entity in the AA world at that time. 
And what he gave us at that time really was hope. Some of John's lyrics are straight out of AA. It's kind of like, and if mm-hmm. you don't know, you can still appreciate the lyrics in their own right, but even we knew. So what John represented, I think, to my five-year-old self was he can beat addiction and my dad can. So he represented this path to healing for my father. And it's funny because decades later, I heard John actually talk about hope and he's talked about the importance of it and the way that we all need it to survive. And John's got this knack for summing up the human condition in like deceptively simple few words. And so I heard him say that we need hope. I thought, yeah, okay, that's nice. And then months later, I read this very deeply researched column in the New York Times about like the science behind hope and how hope is this crucial cognitive process without which we have no way to solve our problems. And I thought, man, there's John again saying in one sentence what the paper of record devotes a whole column to. But so anyway, he was our hope. And sadly, the hope did not pan out for my family. My dad, he spent the better part of three decades trying to fight this disease, but he wound up taking his own life when I was 20. John knows a thing or two about that as well. And um, and it was obviously rough, but he, the thing is, what does it say about John's music that it can represent this very specific thing to me, and then I cannot get that thing, and yet still retain the hope? And I do. And I think, uh, so I think my relationship with his music has evolved. And I'm happy to say it's no longer, I no longer associate him just with pain. He's become the soundtrack to my life. But when I do focus on like the pain and healing piece of his musical canon, um, what I realize is that at some point along the line, he went from representing a path of healing for my dad to representing one for me, right? Like I said, he knows a thing or two about childhood trauma, about suicide. And so what started as, hey, if John can get through this, so can my dad, it became if John can get through this, so can I. And so as I've grown, I've come to see him in this new, but still very relevant and personal light. And I think that's just a testament to the immense depth of his writing. And this song, as we shall see, is very re- relevant to these themes. So you'll it'll become clear why I chose this one. One quick anecdote that I think just illustrates what he meant to us. And it'll also provide a segue into the song. When this album came out, Tiki Bar, so I was 16. I'd gotten away from John for a while because I was a teenager. I wanted to listen to what my friends were listening to. I wanted to be cool. So it had probably been, I want to say, five or six years since I'd listened to him in great detail, which going from 10 or 11 to 16, it's like a developmental Grand Canyon. My memory of him was hazy. And on top of that, I was sleeping till noon and you know, a teenager. So I wake up at the crack of noon to my mother playing this album. And in that state, in that combination of being half asleep and also not having heard him in a long time, I couldn't remember if we knew him personally or not. And I actually... I legit had to get up and ask my mother. I was like, hey, did you like date John at some point? Was he like an AA with dad? And she's like, no, it it just feels that way because of the incalculably profound (laughs) impact he had on us. I was like, yeah, that tracks. That's my origin story. That, wow, I am nearly speechless. That was amazing. And I relate to so much of that. And Nick, before I forget anything, where can people follow you? Because you mentioned being a journalist. Where can we read more of your stuff? 
Sure. I work for Reuters and I'm on Twitter at Nick P. Brown. So N-I-C-K-P-B-R-O-W-N. Re- as far as reading my stuff, I'm on the investigative team. So you don't write a lot. You do one thing for a year and then publish. So uh-huh. I think that in a couple of months, you will be able to read my stuff. But if you Google me now, the last thing you will have seen by me is like a year and a half old. All right. I'm a journalist with Reuters and yeah, and I'm on Twitter and yeah, and anybody can follow me or reach out to me there. And I'm also just my on Facebook and stuff at my personal account, Nicholas Brown. I'm in the Hyatt fan group on Facebook too. Okay. As we n- know from this podcast being many years long, good things are worth waiting for. So we'll look forward to being able Absolutely. to read that article. Yeah. yeah. There are so many other songs I want to join for in like 12 years. Good. <laughs> it's always, you're always welcome. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. I love Thank you for sharing so much about yourself. And when I had Betsy Hodges on Set Lusting Bruce, she was mayor of Minneapolis. And I said, hey, did you ever give, be able to give Bruce the key to the city? And she goes, no, he always went to St. Paul, never went to Minneapolis. But she says, I got to give it to John Hyatt. And I went, what? And she's, yeah. And she has been on the podcast multiple times. And she talks about through your hands is just one of her most amazing stories. And because of she was able to give him the city to honor him because of his work with addiction. And she is in recovery. She is very open about it. And I never real like I know Lawrence Block is a wonderful writer. And he one of his best known detective worries is Scudder, Matt Scudder. And he is very active in AA, that character. And so my brother, who is in AA, said that book really, those books really give a feel for what it's like to be in recovery. But I did not realize how much John's music meant so much to those people, as you said it, if you know it. And so really well said. Yes. Yeah, I think that's the case. I've heard from a lot of other people that feel that way. But I can, yeah, I can only speak from my story, but I've heard it said. Yeah, great. I am so glad you're here. Uh, I can't wait to break this down lyric by lyric. But before that, we got to go to Sylvan for just the facts. We do. And do we need an ad break? We'll do it after the facts. Okay, sorry. That's okay. So come Home to You is the 10th song on the album Tiki Bar is Open, which was released September 11, 2001. And we remember that date for known reason. It was actually recorded, though, several years earlier. They started recording it in 1999. And at that time, John was working with Capitol Records and things fell apart. And they actually released an album before they could wrangle the recordings of Tiki Bars open away from Capitol to then release it on Vanguard. And I found an old article, I actually printed it out in 2000 uh, about how that went from salon.com. And since I have a journalist with me, I will make sure to mention the author of this article, a conversation with John Hyatt, Amy Reeder. She asked what happened with Capitol and John replies, it wasn't unpleasant. It's like a broken record, no pun intended, but it was the same old story. The guy who signed me left. So I had to re-enthuse a new regime. And to put it simply, they didn't like the make 
like the record we were making as much as we did. So we figured, you know what? They probably shouldn't put it out. And that was that. We're going to finish it in January. We own it. We got out of the label deal with the record, which was no small feat. We had to jump through a few flaming hoops and train poodles and God knows what else. But we got out with the record and we're going to put it out. We're shooting for May of 2001. So obviously things Mm -hmm. got pushed back again. And I'm going to start touring for Crossing Muddy Waters at the end of September solo initially. It goes on from there. So that kind of tells you about I hear that and I really hear a lot of angst that must have been happening in the business side. And I am not a musician, but I can only imagine what it's like when you're basically putting your soul into a project and there's someone who has not touched it in any way who comes walking in and says, I'm not really liking this. I think you should go in a different direction. And then having to jump through the flaming hoops, as John described, to get your baby back. And then I also wanted to just mention that it is the goners who are on tiki bars open so it's sunny landreth and kenny blevins and there's another great little passage about that whole process in take a drink mike elliott's book but since we have kind of talked already so much about background i think i'll leave it at that you all know where to find mike elliott's book and it's a great read and There's a lot of history about Tiki Bar, but let's dive into the song. Yeah, we're going to take an ad break in a minute, but I did want to mention, I'm not necessarily a creative person, but I have been, there was a time when I was working for a company and in the span of 18 months, I had six different managers and each manager had a different vision of what the department was supposed to do. And so you would building forward and then, okay, we'll change. And now, no, that's totally wrong. That isn't what this should do. We should do this. I can only imagine if I'm giving my heart and soul to something like, hey, I just don't know. So I'm glad he was able to get that going and thoughts and keep it. Nick, any thoughts before we take a break on the facts? Not on the facts. I have plenty to say about the song. But... Okay. Sounds yes, I, good. I, oh, and I forgot to mention the producer of this is Jay Joyce. I want to always give the producer their due as well. Very nice. All right. Hang tight, guys. We're going to be right back in just a moment. And uh, we will break this down lyric by lyric with our special guest star, Nick Brown. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. 
Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. And we're back. Okay, we are talking Come Home to You. I guess the tiki bar is open, or at least the discussion is open. Yeah. Do you want to, do we want to talk just general about the song, or do we want to dive right into the lyrics? I have a general thought that I'd love to please get out please. there. So I, you guys often talk about the mature love song. A subset of that, a subcategory of that is love as salvation, like love saved me. He has a few songs about I was going nowhere in life and then I met you, which I love because everyone always says you shouldn't quote unquote need your partner and it's codependent. And I'm like, to hell with that. And <laughs> songs like Thank You Girl and Learning How to Love You and Rock of Your Love and I Could Go On. And I think this is one of those. And I've just, I've thought about like why he's so drawn to that idea. And I think it has to do with trauma. I am of the view that emotional trauma hinders your ability to love and be loved. And so I feel like trauma is to love what blindness is to sight, right? It's If you were suddenly cured of blindness, you might be tempted to sing about how lovely it is to see things. And I think coming through what he came through and healing, you learn, you relearn the ability to connect and the importance of that. And, and so that's one of the reasons I love this song. And I'll, by the way, I interpret it as being about the cycle of trauma. I know there's no wrong way to interpret a Hyatt song, but how I see it. And as long as we're drinking every time Jesse says Springsteen, you might as well drink every time I say trauma, because I'm probably going <laughs> to use that word a lot. But anyway. Very nice. And Nick, that's not a tough argument with this song. So I think we're right there with you, Nick. Yeah. So Sylvan, you want to start? Sure. I will start with the lyrics. There's a mad little kid at the top of the stairs and his eyes, they gather no light. And his mom and his dad, they're too high to care. And his cries drift off in the night. Should I keep going or do we, there's so much to unpack right there in four lines. I think we got to stop. So I'm just going to jump in the easy low hanging fruit. The top of the stairs, right? Mm -hmm. That is this iconic phrase from one of my favorite album. And all of a sudden, there's this twist, right? I, this alone breaks your heart. Don't go any further. 
just this first few lines are just heartbreaking. Nick? Yeah, I, I'll tell you what, I the lines that come after this, I think are con connected to it. So Sylvan, why don't you go okay. and then say the next couple lines and then I'll. While you were talking, Jesse, you talked about the stare and I was like, he does use stairs in a lot of songs. And I have to give a little plug to Emil Basting's website, hyattonline.de. It's a site in the Netherlands called The Perfectly Good Cigar, John Hyatt fan site. And you can actually type in any string of characters. So I just did a little bit of searching for stairs because first one that occurred to me was the rest of the dream when you can't find the light at the top of the stairs. And here we have light and stairs happening too. There is also going way back to overcoats one more time. He mentioned stairs, back of my mind, all the lilacs in Ohio. So we can pull our English major friends about the trends over time in that particular image. But it's just devastating because when you think of a child without light in their eyes, it's wrong on every level. It's monstrous, literally. And we know that happens. It's, of course, a symbol of innocence. It's also something that you can see because it does happen in real life. And then his mom and dad, they're too high to care and his cries drift off in the night. It's just devastating. It's so emotionally impactful. And it's not, it doesn't feel cheap in any way to me. I don't know how he manages to earn this kind of, emotional rip your heart out in four lines but he does yeah yeah and then he goes and he goes on i don't want to step on no go ahead go ahead no read if it. you'd like yeah. to read the next verse so then he says and i've been that kid yeah it's true and i've been both of those parents too i'm ashamed when i've lost my way but i'd give anything just to come home to you right mm -hmm. so i think together with those first couple lines he's basically just described the cycle of trauma in a nutshell, right? Mm -hmm. So he starts by describing the loneliness and darkness of this vulnerable child. And then he says, I've been that kid and I've been those parents. And then he says, I felt shame. And then he says, I give anything to be able to get past this. So to me, it starts with the trauma itself, the kid who was hurt. It graduates to you then recycling that hurt, hurting mm -hmm. other people in the same way. It then graduates to the inevitable shame and self-loathing that follows that because you know better. And then it graduates to you deciding, reaching a point where you understand and you would just, whether you can attain it or not is a different story, but you realize that you would give anything to not be a prisoner to this cycle anymore. And, and that's just John's brilliance. He's, to me anyway, summed up the human condition and human trauma in like one one verse. And then there's this question too about who the you is. I was just going to ask that if you have a particular way that you like to interpret that. Right. I'm not sure I do, but I know I, I have one that I like the best, but so you can take it. Let's talk about the ways you could take it. You could take it literally, that it's his wife or someone that he loves. You can take it spiritually, like it's almost a godlike figure or just wanting mm -hmm. to get back in touch with the experience of living. You can take it as, as him talking about himself, right? There's this innocence before he lost his way and felt shame. He was someone and maybe he mm -hmm. wants to get back to that. 
And then the way that I guess I, I'm inclined to take it is that it's not about the you so much as it's about the coming home, right? It's just, it's about having a you in the first place. It's, I want to have a normal life and have love in my life. I want to not alienate myself anymore. I'd give anything to be able to leave this scary place that I'm in in my head and come home and be in the present with the people that matter to me. That's and beautiful. I, I've been there. So mm -hmm. I think I, that's just how, it, you know, as he says, if you hear it, it's there. That's what I hear. I, yeah. And I've been lucky enough to talk to John. And that's the one thing that I probably frustrate him the most with, because I can't take that as an answer. I can't believe that he didn't know what he was doing with that, especially this, not to get ahead of ourselves with discussion. This strikes me as a song that had been hanging out for a while that developed slowly over time. Absolutely. Yeah. Je Jesse, do you want to take the next first? I was going to talk a little bit about some of what Nick said and discuss. There is a cycle of alcoholism, child abuse, spousal abuse, just this whole negative thing. And it is easy to paint a abuser in a in as the evil. They are the bad person. They are the monster. But then when you think about they were the victim often, and that doesn't excuse their behavior. I, so I don't I just bear give me some grace, please, listeners. But this, he explains that so well here without mm -hmm. excusing them. And I was raised in a household that do as I say, not as I do was always said. And my, once again, we just talked about in their previous episode about sharing too much. My mother-in-law said, God love her. I think Jesse became the man he was in spite of his family, almost in spite. I'm going to do this different, but that's hard to do. It's hard to look at something and say, I'm not going to do that. But how often, and let's lighten it up for a minute, right? How often do you mock your parents and then you find yourself saying exactly what they say, right? We were in Subway once and... We ordered our sandwiches and the lady said, do you want, do you want to make this a combo? And I go, no. And I looked at Chris and I said, we got chips and drink at the house. <laughs> and so he says this all the time. Oh, we got chips and drinks at the house. So on a lighter mood, right? You, there is a pattern, sometimes good, sometimes bad. And in just eight lines John has explained this cycle, as you said, of trauma, Nick of hurting yourself and hurting others and hurting the ones you love. And you look in the mirror and you become the monster to be overly dramatic. And just absolutely, as I was listening to this song and reading the lyrics, I went, oh my goodness, how powerful is this song? So just sharing a few thoughts there. Yeah. And if I can, sorry, this is going to be a long one. Everybody yeah, buckle that's, in. That's okay. yeah, um, buckle in. Yes. And the fact that he did that so quickly that he was able to transition from this devastating picture of a child to say, 
I've been that kid and I've been those parents. Like you can, almost can't catch your breath, even though it's also a very slow melodic song that he's taking his time with the delivery. It's like you're riding a real choppy water wave of these emotions going back and forth. Did you have something to say to Nick? No, just who do you empathize with? Everybody. Yeah. It's just, yeah, he just throws it all at you at once, which is, that's how life is. And yeah, the first step is acceptance. And he's saying that, yeah, I've been both, the, I've been the kid, but you know what? I've been the parents too. His mom and dad too high to care. And there is that picture, right? Of the stereotypical person in a low income housing that's, whatever substance you want to do while the child is crying. But there's also plenty of upper middle class and higher actually mm -hmm. high where you could they're do they're too high to care. The substance they're abusing may change, high in scotch or bourbon compared to something else. And it is so well drawn and so and Nick, you named it. There you you feel sorry for everyone you're mad at everyone it's all the same you're a victim you're a you're, you're the perpetrator and it's all rolled into one emotional ball yeah absolutely all right the twilight captures the sorrow of time in between the life and the live I press on through the darkness, though thoroughly blind, to lie in new morning gives, and it sparkles like each new tomorrow. I crank up my last yesterday, tasted sweet joy and bittersweet sorrow, and I'd do anything just to come home to you. Um, sorry to do this, Jesse, but I'm wondering, are you reading from a website? Because yes. I'm actually... Yeah, slightly I, different lyrics. Yes. And, and yes, that's why I always like you reading the lyrics because oh, I grab them from a website and you're always better. So, yes. all right. So just to, and I, he probably has performed it both ways, but you said something about crank up the darkness, but I think it was drank up the, drank my up last the yesterday. Okay. Yeah. okay, good. So I think it's a light the new morning gives, right? As opposed to a light. Yeah. A light. Yes. Yeah. Nick wasn't here for our last discussion, but we were talking about how there was beautiful images that somehow just didn't manage to make the emotional impact. I think this is the exact opposite side of the coin that, you know, using twilight and darkness and morning, come on, every freshman English student has played with those concepts in a way of playing with hope and futures and so forth nothing groundbreaking from a poetry standpoint but it is amazing and it, it has a perfect meter to me like he's not stretching to fit things in the way he vocally performs this seems almost effortless like he's having a conversation not singing a song which works and I press on through the darkness so thoroughly blind to a light the new morning gives. So thoroughly blind, just 
he is saying that there is no hope. There is no pinprick. There is no dawn breaking or anything like that. And then all of a sudden there's a light of the new morning in the same breath. Yeah. Why do any of us keep going? When do we really ever have the convenience of seeing, seeing the light at the end of the tunnel or knowing what we're doing? We're just programmed to keep going. And sometimes we don't know why, but keep going. And the thing is the light, it's, it, it never goes away. There's always tomorrow. It's a light that the new morning gives and it sparkles like each new tomorrow. And he uh-huh. seems to have made a decision in real time in that line. You know what? I've drank up my last yesterday. I'm turning forward. And yeah, I just, he seems to be reflecting there. It's the twilight, right? Not that he was old when he wrote this, but I suppose he wasn't young either, middle-aged. And maybe he feels like he's feeling the weight of the pain of knowing how much time and energy he has lost to this thing, this plague of this trauma, right? But then he says, but it's not too late. As long as you're on this earth, you keep pressing forward and there's at least the opportunity for light at each new day. That line, I drank up my last yesterday, I think is open to a wide world of interpretations. It could be talking about trying to erase the memory of a yesterday by using alcohol, or it could be basically saying that you've consumed it and it's dry. It's not a well that you can pull from anymore, or it's just putting it behind you in a, in a physical sense. In tasted sweet joy and bittersweet sorrow. My memories, I remember the good times. I remember the bad times. Mm-hmm. I, and I do anything just to come home to you. I'm remembering the past. I'm remembering when I was towing the line, when I wasn't towing the line, when we were happy, when we weren't. And there, take a drink, obviously, right? There, in the Western Star film, toward the end, Bruce says, we keep walking through the dark because that's where the morning is. We keep walking through to that new, better day. And I'm a firm believer in a redemption story. I believe that it's never too late to do something better for yourself and your family. And and so to have that, I go through so totally blind and the idea that there is that future where I can do this is just so beautiful. You're getting ahead of the lyrics there, Jesse. So I'll go ahead and read the next verse if that's okay. There's a meanness inside and it shivers my bones. That's the thing about mercy. There's no man so wicked. He cannot come home nor so good. He passes each test. And I said the exact same phrase to myself that you just said, Jesse, that I am a sucker for a redemption story. I have consumed many a movie and a book just because it follows that trope. I don't think there's such thing as a bad redemption story as long as we get that redemption. And these words really speak true about the nature of redemption. That's the thing about mercy that I love that he offers a little bit of ambivalence there that he's trying to figure it out or that like 
he's not talking about certainty or trying to deliver it in a way of, hey, you have to believe in mercy and you have to believe that every man is good. He says it right there. No one is so wicked. He cannot come home nor so good. He passes each test. It it is yin yang. It's light and darkness all at once. And yet at the same time, we have to struggle through it with that shivering and the meanness that he says in the first line. Yeah, that uh, that yin yang idea also harkens back to the first verse where he in he makes the child this innocent, vulnerable creature and then turns around in the next line and makes him the villain having all grown up. Yeah, this is a verse where I can relate a lot as well. And yet again, I think John sums up the entire entire process of pain and healing. There's a meanness inside. After all this healing, all this effort, all this enlightenment, I can still be a jerk, right? I still hurt people. And it shivers my bones. It scares me what I'm capable of. I should be better than this. I've learned. I'm self-aware. I've done my therapy. I've gotten sober. But I can still be a jerk, right? And that scares me. But that's the thing about mercy. And what he's really saying here, I think, is you have to be, have self-compassion. It's mercy for yourself because the mm-hmm. person who hates you the most in these situations is usually yourself. And, you know, it doesn't matter how long you've been alive. You're never going to be perfect and you're never going to be evil. And healing is synonymous with accepting that. The idea mm-hmm. of getting comfortable with the ugly remnants and not condemning yourself if those remnants don't ever fully leave you. So it's just a very powerful verse for me. Absolutely. Forgiveness is where the healing begins. There's a meanness inside. Sylvan and I were talking before we hit record that I'm, I just finished a book about Nebraska and the title track ends. They declared me unfit to live, said to that great void, my soul be hurled. They wanted to know why I did what I did. Sir, I guess there's just a meanness in this world. We all are complicated creatures. We all say things that we shouldn't say. And there are one of the things I think that causes us issues in modern society is I want to believe the best in myself and the worst in you. When you say something, Nick, it's because you hate people and it's a tasteless joke. If I make the same joke, I'm just trying to be funny. And we don't give each other the benefit of the doubt. And he says it's so much better than I can. Whose turn is it to read the first? I'm going to get the lyrics wrong, so I'm going to just talk. (laughs) Nick, do you want to read the final verse or would you like me to? You go for it. You probably have it in front of you. I just have it in my okay. head. I don't want to mess oh, up. okay. I'm impressed by how well you have it in your head. Oh, Once upon man, a time, I... This is my jam, man, so I... <laughs> true, true. Yeah. As the fires of memories burn me, the grace of your love returns me to this most traveled of highways where I'd do anything just to come home to you. I would do anything just to come home to you. And once again, not groundbreaking no one's ever done this before playing with fire and highways as images in a love song or a song about redemption but it's just it's done 
so beautifully. And it, I am really um, struck as we're going through this line by line of that he does seem to go back and forth intentionally very quickly from the kind of devastating to the hopeful back and forth. And it's not all in a way of, oh, I found a good woman, so everything is okay. I really feel that he is pulling off something that not a lot of songwriters can do, that the good was inside me and I bring it out of myself because I love you, not because you're my salvation, but we are our own salvation. It's like this song is called Come Home to You, but 95% of it is not about you, right? But it's about it's it's about finding a person can, like you say, help you fight the fight. It's, but it's in you and you've got to do it. And that's really interesting what you say about him going back and forth. And I think it's it paints this picture of the daily grind of healing. It's every day that you get up, you have to do the you never really get to a place where it's just a well-oiled machine and everything is perfect and easy saying, even now the fire of these memories is capable of burning me. Right. What keeps me going is now I know that I can see the life that I want. I've come to realize if I want to heal, I have to choose to come home to you. It's not your love saves me. It's the giving anything to be saved that keeps him going. It's the appreciation, the gratitude. I'll and wanting be- to be saved. Yeah. I'll always be broken a little. I'll always be a little bit mean, which is scary, but I have this faith and I have this belief that if I keep choosing gratitude and leaning into the goodness that we have here, I'm going to be okay. Said Nick. Yeah, very well said. Go ahead. it, It does remind me. So 2001, I was five years out from my suicide attempt. And it was probably around that time that I was really struggling with this feeling of I'm still going to deal with depression for the rest of my life. And a lot of the people around me said, no, you've been to the hospital. You got out of the hospital. You don't need to talk to a therapist anymore. Shouldn't you have dealt with these? It's not working if you still want to talk about your depression or your suicide attempt. And I had to figure out for myself that the fires of memory are still going to burn but they're not going to consume Mm. that I needed to accept that was part of my sense of self that I was a suicide survivor and not hide it and yeah you travel those highways back and forth a lot and it feels can I get off this stupid road finally but it still is the road that brings you home it's the road that you know yourself And if you can find the grace in it and the love and acceptance for yourself, for your loved ones, even if they can't see you exactly the way that you see yourself or the way you want to be seen, to let the light in and to feel that love and to accept both the dark and the light. Yeah. Beautifully said. Yeah. Very well said. And, so let's you talk about as the fire memories burn me, the grace of your love returns me to this most traveled of highways. There's a lot of ways to read this, but I read it as I know what the highway, the correct path to me being the person I need to be, not for you, but for myself. 
that is a most traveled highway, but that it's easy to get to, it's easy to stop doing what works. I think it's a perfect example, Sylvan, of your friends and family, probably with very good intentions. I don't know. You had a broken arm, you had a cast, you don't need a cast anymore, but it's Mm -hmm. not that. It's not Mm -hmm. that simple. And so therefore it's the most traveled of highways because I do know I have a meanness in me. I do know that I've, sometimes we stumble, sometimes we fall, but you, I know what I need to do where I'll do anything to come home to you. And I think we go back to what is you, is it their partner? Is it their sobriety? Is it their successful family? Is it their, to a good, their job, whatever Mm -hmm. it is, this goal, I'm going to do anything, which is, I know what I need to do. It's just really well said. Yeah. Yeah. I, again, it's, I didn't know, I didn't come up, pick up on this nuance until I was reading the lyrics closely preparing for this, but he's, it's not the love that the grace of the person's love doesn't return him to bliss. It returns him to this traveled highway where he would give anything to have the love. It's like the place where he's most comfortable and where he feels the most hope is in the struggle in which he is seeing the light, seeing the thing that he wants. He's never going to get there fully. He's got it. Every day is going to be a bit of a struggle, but every day he's trying to make this choice. Yeah. And by the way, I'll just say, I love that he wrote a little bit of a meta point, but he wrote this song many years after getting sober. And I think that's, Mm -hmm. that's, you said he had written it a little earlier than he recorded it, but likely he still wrote it many years after his sobriety. But thematically, it's so similar to Learning How to Love You or 30 Years of Tears, which is a song that I would love to join you for in 85 years or whatever. (laughs) Not quite, but yes, you're definitely welcome back. We'll put you on the Excel sheet right now, Nick. Nice, I love that. (laughs) But isn't there something comforting in knowing that all these years later, he's still fighting the battle? And in a sense, that fact itself validates the theme of the song. It's this guy who's saying, even now, I lose my way, I get burned, I'm mean. Uh, and there's always ability to make a choice. And uh, he's embodying that very idea just by writing this song, I think. Absolutely. The oh. No, go ahead. I Once again, I'm name dropping this time, but Jason Isbell wrote, It Gets Easier. And I don't know if you've heard the song, Nick. But it is about living with sobriety. And he says it gets easier, but it's never easy. Is he sober? Yes. Yeah, 10 years. And in fact, in this documentary, his wife, Amanda, says, I trust him. I don't trust the addiction. I've always liked his music and saw something special in him, but didn't really know how to articulate it. But I'm drawn to artists that have gone through something that's really interesting i'll have to check him out more yeah the song is it gets easier but it never gets easy and it talks about it and one of my favorite lines is i can't expect you to follow my lead you're okay with your wine and weed (laughs) 
not his spouse. Uh, so anyway, yes, please check it out. I'd love to hear. Let me know what you think. The journey, the idea, and grace is one of my favorite words. I just love grace because I feel like often we don't give each other enough grace. You said it so perfectly, Nick. This isn't a, the love of a good woman made him sober and took him fine. And his life is now good all because of that woman. It's. In other words, this is why we haven't heard a country cover of this. (laughs) But the idea, right, that no, you remind me, your grace says, once ago, you're going to stumble, you're going to fall. You, I don't necessarily mean you backslide as in you use again, but you are going to do things that are not productive for your sobriety for a successful marriage for a successful employee whatever relationship you're in right sometimes we're just jerks and this is what the right thing to do and if we just do it this will be better for you yeah absolutely what else that's it for the lyrics i did just make an offhand comment about covers i wanted to give a shout out to jake thistle who has a youtube video up of him covering this which i thought was really interesting especially we've been talking about all the themes and the life experience that this song embodies to have a he was probably 2021 when he put up that video young man who i believe thankfully has not had the struggles that John has had, perhaps because he was a really smart kid that listened to great music like John Hyatt and knew better. I have pointed to family members specifically, but also the fact that I was listening to Bring the Family and Stolen Moments from the time I was as young as you were talking about, Nick, to why when it came to the teenage parties, when someone Pass me a beer. I'm like, no, I'm good. Don't need that. No, I didn't drink too. Yeah. So yes, a great version by Jake Thistle and then a couple of other amateur versions. Unfortunately, I don't think there have been any recorded and released by other artists versions of this song. And I'm not going to go ahead and say what my rating is, but I wasn't 100% sure how I would rate this song because I knew I love this song for all the things that we've talked about, but it's not one that I just go to automatically. And I think there is something a little bit about the production, which we haven't really talked about, that kind of slow lead in and the it's almost electronic sounding kind of production, which is fine. But I personally prefer what I was hearing on the covers of just a lone voice and a guitar or a piano. And that, to me, helps deliver the message that we're talking about. So do either of you have any thoughts that maybe I'm missing something with what they were trying to do with the album version of this song? No, the only thing that comes to mind is it is produced. It's a little more produced then yeah, then maybe fits the subject matter. I've wondered what the little doot doots are in the lead up. I didn't know if that was just them trying to be goofy or if it meant something. I the only yeah. thing that sounds like a heart. I thought 
Thank you. You took the words out of my mouth. I thought that it sounds like a heartbeat and maybe that was an intention of trying to get us to slow down and pay attention to our pulse. But you also used the word goofy, which has occurred to me also that it's, this doesn't fit. It's just silly. What's going on? Do you remember the line in the Mike Elliott book, I think where Hyatt is quoted as saying that this album, they were like trying to be, trying to seem a little younger and hipper than they really were. I don't remember the line offhand, so I don't want to. Yeah. But uh, I think he was comparing this one to Beneath This Gruff Exterior. And he was saying Tiki Bar was us trying to be, to come off as younger and hipper, whereas Beneath This Gruff Exterior was just, this is what you get. We're old and we're crotchety and we are what we are. And that resonated with me, although I love this album so much. And I think it, I think it, is one of his best, which I know is not necessarily the main, the majority view, but, but anyway, my, I guess my point is to say, I hear what you're saying. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really bother me. I just love it. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. What I found interesting, and I'm so glad you brought it up, Sylvan, is I do not have a, a paid version of Spotify. I have just the free web player. And so I get commercials. And that doesn't bother me because I grew up listening to AM radio where there's commercials, right? Every time I hear this song start, I think it's a commercial. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh no, it's the song. So it, and I don't mean that as a criticism, but it is that it doesn't start with what you would think as a John intro. Right. So yeah. Given the weight of the subject matter, you do wonder if, it was purposeful because there were a lot of really smart people making this record and they knew what this song was about and they knew the impact it could have. And you'd like to think they wouldn't just make a purely aesthetic and musical choice to go like a little off the grid like that without it having meaning for a lighthearted song. Okay. But for something like this, anyway, I'm not saying I know the answer, but I'm just, there's a part of me that thinks maybe it is supposed to be a heartbeat or something like that, just given how deep this song is. Yeah. Well said. Good. All right. Any other final thoughts? No, I just love the album. Okay. Jesse, you might appreciate this as a Texas guy. I have an uncle who lives in the Southwest who says that this album is perfect for driving across West Texas in your pickup truck with the windows down. I... <laughs> Uh, I echo that thought. Yes. The first few songs. Yeah. Yeah, I, yes. Uh, I was, I did not go through South Texas, but I did, I have done multiple trips over the past year for my mother had a stroke. And so she's now in a nursing home. Like every couple of months I drive to Lake Charles, usually solo. And, and often John is the soundtrack. And I'm listening to that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I think we got to rate, rank, rate it. And Nick, um, as our guest, you're going to get to go first. Great. Yeah. So I vacillated on this because at first I thought I'm going on a podcast. So should I think like a podcaster, right? Should I rate the song, not just according to my personal attachment, but also these other objective factors, you know, you guys consider. And because if I were thinking that way, I might be tempted to, to, to factor in all these soft factors that we're talking about, the production value, the fact that it's a deep cut and it's not 
blah, 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 maybe the first song you go to. And then I thought, I'm not a podcaster. And the whole objective rating thing is your problem, not mine. <laughs> so I love this song with all my heart. So I'm going to give it a five. I chose it for a reason. And I don't want people to think I'm incapable of giving a Hyatt song a one or a two. I totally am. But and I, you're welcome to come on and talk about that. Yeah, I think that is a, the kind of natural outcome of the guest spot exactly. that we people are going to come on. Right? Yeah, you would, it's the work survey things, right? People either give you a 10 because they had a really good service or they give you a one because they're really angry at you. Yeah. Anything um, in between, just don't rate. People are going to prove me wrong, but I'm like, eh, if you're going to give it a three, there's a probably good chance, eh, I'll just let Jesse and Sylvan do the heavy lifting. But if it's a one, no, I can't stand the song. I've got to talk to him about it. Or, oh, this is a five. Doesn't surprise me. Sylvan went first last time we recorded. So I really like the song. It is not a five to me, but it is certainly a strong four. This song has a lot of beauty to it. I like it even more after our discussion and that almost made me go to make Sylvan cringe with a 0.5. But no, I'm going to stick with this is a solid four and absolutely something that I'm really happy as part of this. I have this in my playlist that I can hear. Okay. So I think... If I could have a different recording of this, I would go five. And like both of you, I was vacillating between four and five. And I think I'm going to actually, I'm really tempted to break my own rule and go a half star, but I'm going to go five because I noticed as I was playing it over and over again that I kept on finishing the song and wanting to hear it again. And I kept on finishing the song and going, gosh, darn, John is good. And yeah. this is a song that is now two decades old. And yeah, the production feels a little dated, but it's interesting. And the songwriting is just so strong and my rating doesn't count for anything, except I did see you guys both cheer. Thank you. I would love it if this would now get recorded by other people. I want to call anyone I know who knows how to play acoustic guitar and say, hey, listen to this and put your own spin on this song. So I'm going to go five. Make that happen. I feel it's funny. I feel the same way about 30 years of tears, not to get too far ahead of us, but it's a song that Solon Moments is so produced. 30 Years is one of my favorite songs of all time, but it feels like it should just be a guy with a, an acoustic guitar. We are lucky that there are a lot of covers out there of that. Okay. So maybe we just need to give this one time to find the traction. It does not detract from me wanting to call it a five-star song, but I think it just gets lost in the shuffle. That by the end of this project, we'll probably have more songs than we currently have now. Our list is over 300 songs now. And by the time we finish, John, we'll have probably put out another couple of albums. Let's just say that law of averages, we end up with 60 five-star songs. Can you remember them all at the top of your head? No, but that doesn't stop them from being a five-star song. So, Yeah, absolutely. And 
I have no problem with both of you ranking at fives. I, I think that's, like I said, I gave a lot of thought to doing that. Yeah, so, and I think maybe there might be something to Nick and my very similar childhood stories that there's something about hearing this that it's yeah yeah you're hearing something that you really need to hear not just that you enjoy hearing and 100%. yeah and I 100% because there are songs for John and other artists that this is just a song that speaks to me in a way that I just adore so yeah I absolutely agree Nick I hope you had fun I had a great time. I'm all giddy now. I'm going to be like, <laughs> good mood for the rest of the night. Yeah, this well, is, I just love that this exists. I think, Jesse, you were saying in one of the recent episodes about the guy that made Buffy the Vampire Slayer wanting a few people to love it instead of millions of people to like it. And that's John's music in a nutshell, right? He's never had the reach of Springsteen, but people love him. People that know him tend to love him. And so the fact that this space exists to talk about it, I feel like you probably don't have many casual fans. You probably have a lot of people, like a good cadre of people that just hang on every episode. I'm one of them. And so I was just very happy to be able to join you. And I hope I get to again. Well, you are- We would love it. Yeah. yeah. Open invite anytime. Yes, it. Uh, this is, it's, we have a consistent download rate. Let's put it that way. And I love it because almost there is, oh, that was, it's usually not, oh, that was an okay episode. Everyone is so, that was great. I appreciate you guys. And so that makes us both very happy. So thank you very much. All right, Sylvan, if someone wants to reach you or us, how can they can email perfectlygoodpd at gmail.com. They can find us on Facebook at the Perfectly Good Podcast. I am Sylvan Groth on Facebook and Sylvan Green Eyes on Twitter. Yourself, Jesse? I am at Jesse Jackson DFW on Twitter. I am also Jesse Jackson from Louisville, Texas on Facebook. You can follow us, let us know. There is a link on the Facebook page where you can go and look. I just updated the dates on our, our share drive. So you can look and see what your favorite song is and what date we are planning to record it. We would love to join you. Nick, you might tell them how easy it was. Hmm. Yeah, hmm. it was surprisingly and pleasantly surprisingly easy. Good. And it's worth it. It's worth it. It's a little nerve wracking to reach out, but then it's like, it pays off. It's worth yeah. it. You guys are chill and nice and it all worked out. Yeah, that's great. Very nice. All right. And Nick, you're working on the next great expose, but if someone wants to meet you while you're doing the research oh. on the next Watergate, how can they reach you? Yeah. So Twitter at Nick P. Brown, N-I-C-K-P-B-R-O-W-N. Twitter is Nicholas Brown, common name. I don't know. I'm in the John Hyatt group. It's my profile pictures, me and my son. You can also tag me when you do the little announcement. We will. We would love that. Yeah. yeah Absolutely. We will. Reasonable. Good. All right. Thank you, listeners. Thank you for spending time with us. This was a fun one. And we really appreciate. Go to iTunes, rate and review us. I just posted as of today, a lot of you are listening via Good Pods. And we were like on a top 20 list of music commentary podcasts. So thank you guys for that. 
We appreciate it. And I think the only thing we got left to say is have a little faith. Have a little faith. Have a little faith. And we will talk to you soon. Bye. Baby, we can come on home. Put the cow horns back on the Cadillac and change the message on the court of It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.